Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Hey, welcome to Encounter Grace. We're glad you're here today. I'm Jason McKnight, and I'm in the studio here with Ben Hendricks and a special guest to be named in a moment. But here we are in the afterglow of Memorial Day, and we wanted to bring to you uh, a story and a friend who is a hero to many of us here at Grace. Memorial Day proper is the holiday here in the United States that honors and mourns those who have given the last full measure of devotion, those who have died in the service of their country, fulfilling their military duties. Well, uh, thankfully, Doug isn't dead yet, but we love you. And, <laughs> and we have Doug Hampton, who is a hero in these halls at Grace Fellowship and around Eastern North Carolina. You might know him as Kathy's husband, or as a fixer of all things mechanical, or as the keeper of the pool, maybe the master of the Mustang, or even the teller of mostly clean jokes. <laughs> but really, Doug, you're a hero to us. Welcome. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you, Jason. Uh, you and Kathy have lived here in Kinston for, I mean, probably 30 years now and been at Grace 25 or 28 years. Oh gosh, we moved here in 1982. It's, oh, wow. That's so, almost, what, 30, yeah. 39 years? You're, you're making me do a lot of math. Uh, I know. I'm trying to count it on my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> so 82, you moved, to, you moved here to Kinston, uh, but you fought in the Vietnam War, and that's what we want to talk about today. A little bit of that and a little bit more stuff, but uh, what has always astounded me is uh, flying combat helicopters. Mm -hmm. I mean, you weren't just fighting the war in the Pentagon, pushing pencils. Mm -hmm. Like you were where it was. I mean, let me just ask you this. What was it like the first time you went into combat? Well, it was, um, it was kind of neat in a certain sense. First of all, I was scared to death. Yeah. And, uh, but I was flying with a very seasoned pilot. He'd been there like almost 10 months out of a 12-month tour. And uh, this was a big operation. I didn't know much about it. I was just doing what I was told. And uh, we took off with 10 helicopters, our company, in a formation. And as we approached the landing zone, well, first we landed, went to an area and picked up the troops. And uh, each one of us carried about seven fully loaded uh, soldiers. As we go into the area that uh, the, the operation was taking place in, ahead of us I could see Air Force jets. It was like a John Wayne movie. Wow. These Air Force jets were coming in, dropping napalm on the, in the oh, wood man. line. And then behind them, our gunships were coming in, strafing the, the wood line. And then we're coming in behind them wow. in a trail formation. And uh, our door gunners are shooting like crazy. So, I mean, <laughs> and, 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 I mean it was really quite, it was scary, but exhilarating too. Right. You know, wow, this is really happening. So we dropped off troops and then we left. And that was, that, that was the first, that kind of got me through that first excitement. And, wow. and then we did several more lifts, bringing more troops in. And uh, uh, then during the day, uh, as needed, we would go back into those hot areas and pick up soldiers that had been wounded and, or even killed. And, but mm -hmm. we, the wounded ones, we tried to get to a field officer, a hospital where yep. they might uh, uh, save their lives. So, like where so, Hawkeye and BJ were. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so so it, was, you know, it, was, it was scary, it was exhilarating, but it was very rewarding too. Yeah. Yeah, being yeah. a part of that. What a cool first operation just to be able to be a part of. I mean, I say that humbly sitting here, but mm, yeah. uh, Doug, I'm just curious, like what, 
just as a helicopter pilot, like that helicopter, man, that's life and death right there. Like, can you kind of walk us through some of the details on that? Like, what, what does a normal crew look like? What's the payload for a flight? How often did you guys go? And what in the world is a Jesus nut? <laughs> <laughs> well, as I just indicated, uh, we, we had uh, two pilots. We had uh, door gu- two door gunners. One of them would be our crew chief. Yeah. And uh, we could take up to seven fully loaded combat troops. Uh, <clears throat> most of our missions initially were, were, you know, you'd fly to and from about 1,000, 2,000 feet. Mm. Uh, as the war was just a chase a rabbit, as the war went on, and they started yeah. coming up what we thought was heat-seeking missiles at all. A lot of the operations dropped down on treetop. Wow. But uh, it, it was pretty exciting. We'd fly. I'd say if we could get one day a month off, that was good. And two days was just, wow, that was wonderful. Wow. But we were either flying or on standby. Okay. Uh, I personally flew almost 1,200 combat hours that year, so we were, we were busy. Wow. We kept going, you know. Said how many hours? Twelve hundred. Twelve hundred. Mm-hmm. And, and just shy. Yeah, just, just shy. Yeah. Just shy. Well, I, th- I think you can round up. It's okay. <laughs> so, I, I just I, I guess here's here's a question that I'm just as curious in as well. Like how how did you navigate just on those missions the danger of just flying in combat? I mean, mm-hmm. all the time, just that being right there in front of you, not I mean, not knowing what's coming. Like, how did you navigate that? Just well, yeah. <laughs> uh, just from a pure term, using the word navigation, you know, they yeah. had a few uh, what we call non-directional beacons out there. It was nothing very sophisticated like we have today. Yeah. But uh, primarily, you just uh, got to know the area. Mm. You know, flew with the guys who were experienced, and you got to know <laughs> the area, and, and, and that was it. Uh, if you got into bad weather and stuff like that, sometimes you might have to land. Okay. At, wow. At a post or something and wait for the storm to blow by. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I had first got there, they had just lost a gunship crew that had was circling, waiting for a storm to go by, and ran out of fuel. Oh no! And uh, the entire crew was lost. And uh, Man. but it was you know you had to plan ahead, and a lot of uh, a lot of the trips were formation of ten helicopters. You just follow the guy ahead of you. Okay. I hope he knew where he was going. <laughs> 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 but we did an awful lot of single ship missions too, and. and mm. uh, uh, you just got to know where okay. you were going, yeah. yeah. Land, landmarks and, and all that stuff. And if you had a non-directional beacon, you'd follow your little compass to it. Yep, yep. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, l- let's back up a little bit and, mm-hmm. and learn a little bit more of, of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you grow up and where did you go to college? Mm-hmm. And uh, what did you think you'd be doing with your life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, my dad was in the Air Force. Uh, I was born in New York in a little village uh, called Cambridge. Hmm. But uh, we moved all the time. I, we lived in seven different states, and I went to, I think, 10 different schools before I graduated from high school. Wow. So it just, just kept getting expelled? Just, yeah, that's what, that's what it was. That's right. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you kept moving. Okay. And uh, then I ended up uh, going to the University of Maryland where my dad had retired. Mm. So. Nice. And I just I always wanted to fly. Yeah, you did. When we were kids, you know, I remember we were being on these Air Force bases and we'd watch these guys fly off back then, the old F-86 jets and all that sort of thing. And, right. And, uh, it was just something I always just wanted to do. And so were you, were you drafted or did you enlist? Or did well, you I, I enlisted, but enlisted. I had dropped out of college. I was kind of floating. and Okay. Uh, I dropped out of college, kind of get some direction. And uh, uh, 
I, my dad had approached me and, and said, uh, uh, why don't you look into the Army helicopter program? Hmm. And great. I did and uh, applied for it. Uh, got an orientation ride in uh, old helicopter. Uh, it's called the H-21 Banana. <laughs> and it's just like the Chinook. I think most people are familiar with the Chinooks with the big rotor blades on each end. Yep. But this had got its designation, and it was similar to that. It was a predecessor, I guess, to the Chinooks. But the tail end, it would come and come to a point and V off, and it looked like a banana, and thus the, the flying banana. H-21. It was a bucket of bolts. It just, it just rattled and everything else, but it was, it was fun. So, And uh, anyways, went, uh, uh, went to basic training and directed flight school from there. Nice. Yeah. All right, so when, in, in all of that mess, how, the real question is, when did you meet Kathy? Uh, <laughs> we met at the university in uh, 1965, and uh, that, I guess it was Ju July, June or July of 65 that I went in the Army. Okay. okay. So we had kind of a long-distance relationship. And then in June of 66, we got married. June of 66, all and, right. And uh, so uh, in, a, in a few weeks, it'll be 55 years. Wow. Yeah, I, we, I met her at the, a bar in College Park where, was, <laughs> where all the students went there. She said she'd never been in a bar before. but <laughs> I could see her saying but that. But I, I remember I looked at when our eyes locked, I said to my best friend, I'm going to marry her. Wow. And I did. Yeah, it's been good. Wow, 55 God, years. Yeah. How many, like she has to have at least two medals for putting up with you that long. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, um, you know, for those of us, so I wasn't born until 73, so I'm, I'm just a young punk. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we look back and we hear about the 60s. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, maybe when I was in college, you know, Tom Cruise's movie Born on the Fourth of July and, you know, all that other stuff. And I'm Canadian, so draft dodgers coming up north of the border and all that kind of stuff. Kent State and Rice. I mean, that's looking back. What was it like? For you living in the 60s as a college student and as someone in the Army and serving and just how did you like did that touch you? Did you know that was going on or how did you feel? Well, when I got out of the Army, I went back to back to college to mm -hmm. finish. Yeah. And uh, we had one baby. We had one coming. Things were tight. I had a couple mm -hmm. part time jobs and then tried, you know, trying to get through school, too. And I was blessed. I, I didn't have any trouble. They had some protests on campus. And, but nothing violent. Mm. Um, I was blocked from going to one class. Hmm. And the professor didn't even go, so it didn't matter yeah, anyway. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so it, it, was, uh, it was uneventful for me. But I've heard some friends and other people, they had, they had terrible times readjusting and coming back yeah. to society. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious, like, even before you came back, uh, just so your time in Vietnam, like, how, how did that shape your view of just America, of, I mean... Like thankfulness, like it, what, what was the lens you kind of just saw things through after that? Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of controversy about Vietnam, but we were. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I've always been patriotic. Mm. You know, when I yep. hear the national anthem today, I tear up. It yeah. just, it's just, yeah. uh, you know. It's, but back then, we were young and uh, uh, stereotyped. We were going to save the world from communism. And uh, I think we were all a little bit crazy. I think that was a requirement to be a helicopter pilot or a crew, crew member. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but we got to Vietnam, and, and, you know, when you're getting shot at every day and, and uh, you start medevacking 
people out or bringing body parts out or you know dead fellows and and you, you start maturing real quick mm-hmm. yeah yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. It, and the value of life suddenly becomes very clear and and it uh, kind of keeps you you know in in reality you know all of a sudden you're not the top gun you thought you might have been right and, and uh um so that, but, but I, yeah. I just, I, I just never wavered in my, my mm. love for this country. It's just always been there. You know, I yeah. probably started because my dad was in the service. And, uh, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. So then I'm curious, like, because mm. be Memorial Day, and then kind of all this time up into the Fourth of July, we have a, a couple of really healthy, good few weeks of patriotism. Where we're all thinking about it, kind of getting ready for the Fourth. How, as someone who's who serve, who spend their time, who's seen the things that you've mm-hmm. seen. Who's, I mean, you've mm-hmm. like sacrificed, put the time and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you define America? Like, what's the essence of it? Like, how, how do you see it? I, mm-hmm. um, That's great. What a question. I, I like what Condoleezza Rice had said about the essence of America. Mm-hmm. And she said it's not, um, it's not religion, it's not ethnicity. She said it's an idea. Mm-hmm. She says it's an idea that no matter what your upbringing was, how humble it might have been, you can do great things. Yeah. Mm. And I think I agree. I think that's the essence of America. But, wow. uh, but as far as uh, I think she's right. Uh, Memorial Day, for years now, Kathy and I get up early every morning, and we'll go to every monument here in Kinston. Mm. And it kind of chokes me up a little bit. Yeah, so. yeah, bear, yeah. Bear with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we uh, mm. we go and we read every name. Mm. On those monuments, World War One, World War Two, uh, Korean War, and Vietnam, and we meditate on that and think about it, and, and uh, I'll come to attention and salute each monument as we leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, then, of course, I lost a lot of friends over there and uh, classmates, and uh, you know we we meditate on that too. They recently had the Vietnam Moving Memorial Wall down in Newburn. And, huh. uh, you know, when you, when you see something like that, and you've got 58,000-plus names on that thing, it's just, I mean, if that doesn't grab yeah. your heart, there's something wrong. That's right. But it's just a time where we personally, as a family, just, just try to honor mm-hmm. those people that have passed on uh, mm-hmm. ahead of us. Yeah. And uh, I, I wrote this down. Uh, there was a fellow, he was a former, I think he was a Navy helicopter crew, crewman member of some type. His name was... Uh, McCree Thornton, and I'll read this so I don't blow yeah. it, but, but <laughs> I, I like this. He said, for those who have fought for it, freedom has a flavor the protected will never know. Hmm, that's true. So, yeah, kind of, man, that's true. to me, yeah, I like mm, that. Man. Freedom has a flavor mm-hmm. that the protected will never know. For those who fought for it, yeah. that's mm-hmm. very well said. Mm-hmm. You know, a few years ago, I mean, uh, 10 years, maybe eight years, you and Kathy began to um, show your love for country in maybe a new way for you or a deeper way for you by getting a little more involved politically. Mm-hmm. And it was very fun. I remember, you know, being at your pool and talking with you mm-hmm. about it. And and uh, I remember you saying to me, "It's I just want people, you know, meaning those people in mm-hmm. D.C., those mm-hmm. people in Raleigh, all those, mm-hmm. you know, I just want them to hold to the Constitution. Yeah. And, and that was so crystallizing <laughs> for me. Uh, you know, they're, they're just forgetting the Constitution. Um, what, 
you know, what is the genius of the Constitution? What's the best thing? Like in this country, again, it is an idea. This country is an idea. And, and, and it's not perfect and nobody's claiming that, but it is an idea with a promise. But the Constitution kind of, what, what is it about that that makes uh, uh, this country work when, when we hold to it? Well, of course, the uh, <coughs> Constitution, you know, it's, it's a framework for our government mm -hmm. and our legal system, too. Yep. So uh, it, the, the greatest thing about the Constitution, I think, or one of the greatest things is that the, the writers of it uh, realized it might not be perfect. It might need to be changed. And they, yes. and they came up with this idea of amendments. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I guess a lot can say about what amendments, but mm -hmm. the Constitution allows for that. Yeah. And, uh, and it's had to be used, I mean, amendments to bring equality to everybody. Yep. So everybody is, quote, treated the same and equally. Yep. So I, th I think that, that that's pretty cool. Which, which is the best, I think, argument against mm -hmm. this idea that it's a living document mm -hmm. and you can make it mean what you want. Right. Because mm -hmm. that's not what they thought. Mm -hmm. They made an amendment process because it's a static document. Right. <laughs> it mm -hmm. means something. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's great. So it's kind of a fun question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do you, I'm just curious. Do you have like a favorite war hero, general, or commander? Just from maybe from your time in the military, or even before? Well, I uh, the person that pops to my mind the most actually was our first uh, company commander when I got to Vietnam. This guy, he was just, he was just a man's man. <laughs> I mean, he cared about everybody. Yeah, you know, I mean, even the enlisted folks, everybody, uh, they knew he cared for them. And uh, uh, just led by example, and every major combat assault that we had, he'd be in the lead helicopter. Wow, it's incredible. Those, yeah, he was one of those guys. You say, man, I'd fly through hell with that guy. I mean, you just, you yep. just, yeah, he and was, he was an incredible man. Yeah, leader. My, one of my, my my uncle was in the military for nearly thirty years, I think, and that was one of the things he helped me see about leadership was mm -hmm. is it's not the guy just giving orders; it's the guy that's up there at the front, mm -hmm. like leading with people. Mm -hmm. I and mean, so that's just such a cool thing to be able to hear and see. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. like, what an impactful guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. What's his name? Uh, you know, I don't remember. You don't even remember? I don't remember. I, that was 50 <laughs> <Sorry>. years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I did not mean to. I was just like, man, I want to make a T-shirt with his name on. You know? <laughs> Doug's uh, commander. All right. I'll I, leave actually, it I actually did a search for his name, and I couldn't find it. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. I can't remember, you know, even the people I met last week. So, um, all right. I, I want to kind of switch. Up. I know you probably have a million and a half funny stories to tell about Vietnam, and we maybe should uh, do that one day. But, but I, if uh, I'd love to hear the story about Hawaii, how you got to Hawaii. Oh my goodness! Because oh <laughs> I think this is so great. Well, when I got to Vietnam, Kathy and I had been married three months when I went to Vietnam, <clears throat> and I knew that you got an R and R. I gave you a week R&R &R from Vietnam. So I told Kathy, maybe we can meet in Hawaii. And uh, once I got there, I was told, no, that'll never happen. There's not very many seats going to Hawaii, and they're taken by the generals and colonels right, up in higher ranks. Yeah. So I wrote to Kathy and said, well, it doesn't look good. I don't think we're going to be able to meet. And uh, unbeknownst to me, she wrote to her senator. <laughs> it was Joe Tidings back there in that time. And... Uh, uh, she just said, I want to see my husband. <laughs> <laughs> he instituted a congressional investigation, which is the last thing any military commander wants. Right, right. And my company commander called me in. He says, uh, get yourself down to the battalion commander's headquarters right now. 
<laughs> and I went down there and he had me standing at attention and I was shivering and quaking and he's accusing me of all these things. And I said, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. And he, and he knew I was lying, but he said, your wife has written to the U.S. Senator and I have a congressional investigation here. I want to know why you're not going to Hawaii to meet her. He says, before you leave my office, you're going to tell me the date you want to leave this country. <laughs> and I projected out six months and I said, and, and I was on that airplane going to Hawaii. And shortly after that, they opened it up and, you know, wasn't a problem going to Hawaii, but it was just absolutely hilarious. That man, to this day, doesn't think I told the truth, but I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> you weren't complaining or anything. Yeah, was, I just love that, but I I tell you what, we should let Kathy run the country. <laughs> it, was, it was wild. <laughs> wow. So, Doug, you, correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't come to Christ until after Vietnam, right? Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So, can you, so, kind of walk us through that story of, of coming home and then coming to Christ. Okay. Well, I have to regress back when I was in flight school. Uh, you know, we were, like I said, we were young and thought we were the big dogs. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we got a weekend off, and we'd go into Fort Worth and, you know, drink some beers and see what mischief we could get into. But we had one fellow in our unit that was named, uh, his name was Chuck Davis. Hmm. And Chuck was a born-again Christian, which meant nothing to me at the time. But uh, Chuck, he was just a nice guy. Uh, whenever we invite him to go drink some beers, he'd say, no, you, you know, you guys go ahead. He said, I, I choose not to. And it was fine. He never shoved his religion down our throat or anything. But by his example, this man never once compromised his, his values. Mm. Well, we graduated from flight school, and uh, went, most of us went to Vietnam. If we did, we went to units forming up to go to Vietnam. And uh, so I, I really didn't know what happened to Chuck. And then <clears throat> to move forward faster, we got out of Maryland. I ended up uh, in medical sales in uh, Charlotte. And we were there about five years, and one day I opened up the newspaper, the Charlotte Observer, and it said, go to Iran and be a flight instructor with Bell Helicopter. And in 45 days, I remember slamming my hand on the table and telling Kathy, we're going to Iran and get rich. (laughs) (laughs) So in 45 days, we'd sold our house, and we had uh, Kathy and my two little girls in Isfahan, Iran. So when we got there, it was the Shah's birthday, everything was closed down, so they put us in a hotel. And uh, uh, everybody had jet lag anyway, and we were feeling yeah. tired. And I went to the lobby, and I saw a sign down there because Kathy, I was going to Kathy was going to a Baptist church, and I was going to another denomination. And uh, the sign said, "If you want to ride to the Isfahan First First Baptist Church of Isfahan, call this number." So I said to Kathy, "Why don't you take the girls and go to church?" And she said, "No, I'm too tired." Well, finally, you know, she said, "Okay, you call, and I'll do it." So I dialed the number, and this guy picks up the phone. He says, hello, this is Chuck Davis. Can I help you? Wow. Still gives me chills. Oh, man. But because of his witness all those 11, 12 years before, Mm. I was able to at least start going to a Bible study. Mm. And uh, in that Bible study, I started learning about this relationship with Jesus, Mm. you know, to be your Lord and Savior. Uh, And uh, anyways, through that, his his witness all those years ago that I progressed in Iran, Gave, gave my heart to Jesus, asked him to be my Lord and Savior. And we just often laugh about that. It's incredible. Go, Lord God would take me halfway around the world to a Muslim country <laughs> to, to meet Bring Jesus. Yeah, yeah, so it was, it was pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you actually, a couple of years later, you had to leave Iran fast. Well, we did. And uh, in fact, that's where I saw my very first miracle. Hmm. Uh, things were breaking down bad. Hmm. Uh, there'd be crowds of 
walk around your neighborhoods in your house and you know they, it's kind of scary yeah uh, sometimes if they could get to your car they'd push into the street the, the crowds would do this and and cut your gas line and light your car on fire mm. or you might find a note on your windshield that said if you're not going in three days we're going to kill your family it's mm. kind of a psychological warfare and people were leaving as fast as they could so finally <clears throat> i decided i better send kathy and the girls home so i i took them up to uh tehran Mm-hmm. to put them on a flight and I went as far as I could with them and they walked around a, there's a great big huge plywood wall and uh, said goodbye and uh, as I started to leave I couldn't I could not move hmm. and uh, I guess I'll stay here you know, I, <laughs> I could not move but I wasn't uncomfortable it wasn't weird or anything hmm. and I waited there and I you know I looked well Plane's taken off, I guess I'll go, and I couldn't move. And uh, probably about an hour and a half after the plane left, all of a sudden around the corner came Kathy and the girls crying. They knew nobody in Tehran. They had probably 15 cents to their name, and God had planted my feet. Mm -hmm. And uh, here I go again. And uh, anyway, it, was, wow. it turned out her, visa, her exit visa was fine. They'd screwed up our children's, and they said, you can go, but your children can't go. So she'd been back there with, among their immigration and customs place, uh, arguing with them, and they're speaking Farsi, and she's speaking English. They're getting right. nowhere. Right. And uh, so anyways, we had to go all the way back to Isfahan, <clears throat> get that straightened out. And, and then the next time I took them to Tehran, I got them, got them sent home. Got them on there. But uh, it's uh, just got it so good. He wow. is but he just planted your feet just, there. I could, yeah, I could not move. I stood to there. To protect couple, your wife. Several hours, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. Doug, thank you so much yeah. for coming in and sharing with us a little bit, you know, thinking of all of your life, but also mm-hmm. uh, back in Vietnam. You know, here, sort of after Memorial Day, everybody says, I don't know who started it, but the idea that freedom isn't free. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just sobered every time. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I walked through Arlington Cemetery, mm-hmm. and I'm just, it's just, such a mm-hmm. heavy thing and mm-hmm. and I you know going around to the monuments mm-hmm. here I think mm-hmm. that's just a, a rich thing but freedom is not ever free mm-hmm. and of course we all can draw lines straight to the gospel mm-hmm. for our own hearts because mm-hmm. our freedom is was costly mm-hmm. for Jesus that's greater right. love mm-hmm. has no mm-hmm. man than this mm-hmm. um, so thank you Doug mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sharing and helping us see mm-hmm. the goodness of the Lord in your life and yeah. also in in our yeah. country yeah. and in Well thank you and to respond to just what you said. Yeah. You know, it I think about that assurance we have because of Jesus. And I think well what what are we doing with our lives? Hmm. And one of my favorite uh, verses is James 2:14. Hmm. We're paraphrasing cuz I I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it says if, you know, a brother comes to you with a need and you can help them, mm. and all you do basically is pat them on the head and say, I'll pray for you and send them on your way. You know, what good are you? Right on. You know, it's, we should reflect as Christians, you know, you know, how are we, de- how do we deal? What are we doing in response to Jesus' sacrifice? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's great. Doug, thank you for sharing with us. Uh, ben, thank you for helping out and leading wow. us here. And everybody, thanks for joining us. I'm telling you what, there's somebody you know that needs to hear this. Send this to them. Uh, and we'll see you back here the next time on Encounter Grace. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.